This episode involves descriptions of child grooming and murder. Listener discretion is advised. It was in early 2013 that Lauren Lafave found herself at a loss. Her son, Breck, who had just turned 14 in March of that year, had always been such a kind, caring, and considerate boy. But something had changed in him. Breck had always been close with his parents and siblings, had lots of friends, and consistently performed well in school, particularly in science and computer classes. But he was no longer the outgoing and affectionate boy Lauren knew so well. He was irritated all the time, often lashing out at those he loved. He began skipping church and withdrawing from his friends and family, opting to isolate himself in his bedroom on his computer for hours on end. I realize this might not sound that out of the ordinary for a 14-year-old boy. Our teenage years are tough and characterized by plenty of ups and downs, but Lauren knew in her gut that something was badly wrong. Lauren did everything she could to keep her son safe but those who had the power to do something to protect Breck did not. As a result, Lauren tragically lost her son in one of the worst ways imaginable. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 25, The Murder of Breck Bedner. Breck Bedner was born on March 17, 1999, to Lauren Lafave and Barry Bedner in London, England. He was named after the town of Breckenridge, Colorado, where Lauren and Barry first met. Lauren and Barry were originally from the United States, but moved to the UK in 1996 for Barry's job as an oil futures trader. They settled in Surrey, just southwest of London. Lauren and Barry described Breck as a good boy from the beginning. They never had any problems with him, and he was always easygoing and happy. It was also clear early on that he was really smart. Lauren said, quote, It was clear that he was technically minded, and we could see him growing up to be an architect or an engineer. In 2002, the Bedner family doubled in size when Lauren gave birth to triplets, Chloe, Carly, and Sebastian. Life was full on, but never without joy or laughter. Breck loved playing with his brother and sisters and teaching them new things. In return, they adored and looked up to him. Breck was never jealous of the triplets. He loved them, and he was a great little helper to me, Lauren said. But family life wasn't as happy as it seemed. After the triplets were born, Barry began to feel the pressure at work. He later admitted that he wasn't the easiest person to live with at that time. In 2006, when Breck was seven and the triplets were four, Lauren and Barry divorced. Lauren and the children moved to Caterham, about 40 minutes from where they'd been living in Weybridge. Despite the move, Barry continued to be a constant in the children's lives. He and Breck remained very close. At school, Breck excelled academically and had plenty of friends. He was described as having a great sense of humor and being a bright and confident student. Once he was old enough, he joined the Army Training Corps. He also enjoyed playing computer games, chatting with his friends while doing so. To talk with his friends while gaming, he used an app called TeamSpeak. The changes in Breck did not happen suddenly, but rather developed over time. 
He celebrated his 14th birthday in March 2013. He was spending a lot of time on his computer, but Lauren didn't see this as a cause for concern, as he'd always been into gaming and technology. She and Barry wished that he would spend more time with his friends in person, but Breck told them that this was just how they preferred to socialize. As the months passed, however, Breck became increasingly distant. Lauren soon got a clue as to what was causing these changes in her son. Breck often brought up someone named Lewis, who was the leader of the exclusive gaming group he was a part of. Lauren knew some of Breck's friends from school were also in the group, but Lewis wasn't a familiar name to her. Unlike the other boys in the group, Breck was open with his parents about his friendship with Lewis. In fact, Breck actually left his bedroom door open when he was gaming. Lauren found this reassuring because surely if something sinister was going on, he would make more of an effort to hide it from her. She'd even spoken to Lewis a few times when she'd come into Breck's room while the two boys were talking on TeamSpeak. But Breck soon began starting arguments with Lauren about things Lewis said he shouldn't have to do. For example, he began to complain about doing chores around the house. Despite being brought up Christian and regularly going to church, he started fighting with Lauren about attending Sunday services, as Lewis told him he shouldn't have to go if he didn't believe in God. He also started missing sessions with the Army Training Corps he had initially been so dedicated to. Lewis Danes, an 18-year-old unemployed computer engineer, spent day and night playing games online and chatting with the group of six younger boys. He had no friends outside of the gaming community. The games were on his server, and he controlled the group's TeamSpeak chat, on which he went by the username Eagle16. Danes delighted in the power he had over Breck and his friends. He came up with a crop of ridiculous lies, including that he was a multi-millionaire who lived in New York and worked for the U.S. Department of Defense. He would tell the boys that his job meant he was always working in different exotic locations. In reality, he rarely left his small flat in Gray's, Essex. I'm not sure exactly how old Danes told them he was. Being young and impressionable, the boys embraced Danes's outlandish tales. They were impressed by his computing skills and financial success. But cracks were beginning to show in the group, thanks to Danes, who enjoyed manipulating and turning the boys against one another. As controller of the chat and game server, Danes could expel members whenever he pleased. Breck's friends were getting annoyed at the way Danes was treating them, kicking them out of the game and muting them on the group chat. But as they began distancing themselves from Danes, Breck's loyalty to him only grew. They expressed their concerns about Danes to Breck, but he shrugged them off, at times becoming defensive and angry. Since he was spending so much time talking to Danes, Lauren suggested to Breck that they meet up with him, as he had told Breck that he had just moved back to England from New York. Lauren wanted to lay eyes on him to make sure he wasn't actually some middle-aged predator manipulating her son online. Breck agreed to ask Danes to meet him and Lauren in London for coffee, but Danes refused, telling Breck that Lauren was, quote, too judgmental. As 2013 was drawing to a close, Breck's relationships with his family and friends were becoming increasingly strained. He was bringing up Danes constantly, 
He told Lauren that Danes was going to get him a high-paying tech job when he turned 16, so he wouldn't have to finish school. Lauren and Barry balked at this. They told Breck it was ridiculous. By this point, Lauren was also aware of all the other lies Danes had been telling her son. For a while, she'd gone along with him saying he lived in New York, but she found out that he'd actually been living in Essex the whole time. Becoming increasingly frustrated with this stranger, who seemed to be quickly taking control of her son's life, Lauren took matters into her own hands. She logged on to Breck's computer and began talking with Danes on TeamSpeak's messenger feature. She started off trying to be diplomatic, telling Danes how difficult it was that he was trying to tell her how to raise her son. The conversation did not go well. Danes was hostile, criticizing Lauren for making Breck go to church. How can you force your beliefs down someone else's throat, he wrote. He told her that she should let Breck play computer games as much as he wanted, because he was a model son who never acted out and got good grades. He added that she should not make him do chores when he wasn't the one making a mess. Lauren did not appreciate the unsolicited advice and soon shut the conversation down. Lauren attempted to restrict Breck's communications with Danes by installing parental controls on their system so he could not use the internet after 9pm. She tried to forbid him from using Danes's server, but her success on this front was limited. Breck stopped talking about Danes to his parents, but they continued to speak to each other regularly. Starting to fear for her son's safety, Lauren called 101, the police line for non-emergencies, on December 17, 2013. She expressed her concerns that Breck was being groomed by Danes, most likely for sex or possibly to carry out terrorist acts. This fear stemmed from her overhearing Danes expressing his anti-government and anti-religious beliefs to Breck on several occasions. Lauren spoke to an operator for 12 minutes, pleading with them for help. The operator, who came across as uncaring and disinterested, gave her a reference number. It would later be revealed that no one carried out even the most basic checks in response to Lauren's call. The case was closed just one hour after she hung up. Lauren was expecting some kind of follow-up, but she never heard anything, so she assumed this meant they had checked and concluded that Danes didn't pose the threat she thought he did. But even if this was the case, she thought someone would call to let her know. I gave them Danes's full name, the fact he lived in Essex, but they did nothing, she said. If they had acted on my information, I have no doubt that this would not have happened. Breck had a plan for February 16th, a plan only he knew about. It was going to be the first time he would meet Louis Danes in person. Danes told him he was going to hand over his successful technology company to him. He asked Breck to come over so he could show him the ropes. The two had known each other for just over a year at that point, and Breck considered Danes a good friend. His other friends were no longer as active on Danes's server as they had been. It was really just the two of them by then. But Breck didn't mind. He looked up to Danes and believed he was everything he said he was. Danes, on the other hand, had meant for this to happen the whole time. He viewed Breck as special and different from the other boys, who he never cared as much for. Monday, February 17th was the first day of half-term break. 
Breck told his dad, who he was spending the break with, that he was going to sleep over at a friend's on the night of Sunday the 16th. He added that the friend's house was not far from their family home in Caterham. Barry was happy with this plan. It meant he wouldn't be sitting in his room on his computer, as he did most evenings. In reality, Breck was planning to get a taxi, which Dane said he would pay for, from Caterham to Dane's flat in Gray's, Essex. On the evening in question, Breck walked a little ways down the road from his house and got into a taxi. This would be the last time he was seen alive. The following morning, Barry waited for Breck to arrive from his friends. He called and texted him, but got no response. Getting concerned, Barry called Lauren, telling her that Breck was not there and that he should have arrived by then. Shortly after this phone call, a series of horrifying events took place. Two of Breck's friends, also members of Danes's online gaming group, received text messages containing grisly photos of a dead body. It did not take long for them to realize that the photos were of Breck. The images soon began circulating on social media. It wasn't long before Chloe, Carly, and Sebastian received text messages from friends who had seen the images, asking if what happened to their brother was true. At 11.06am, Essex police received a phone call. The man on the line said he needed police and a forensic team because he and his friend had had an altercation. He ended by saying, quote, only one of us came out alive. The man was eerily calm on the phone. He explained that his friend had been trying to kill himself, and when he tried to stop him, he accidentally stabbed him. The following is how he described what happened. I grabbed the knife and stabbed him in the back of the neck, I believe somewhere near the brainstem. I don't remember exactly what happened, but the fight ended with me cutting his throat. The operator asked the man if he was saying that he had killed someone. Yes, I am, he replied. When the police arrived at the small flat in Gray's, Essex, it was immediately clear that there had never been an altercation between the two individuals. The attack had been completely one-sided. Breck's lifeless body lay on the floor of Danes's bedroom, his wrists and ankles tied together with duct tape. A deep cut across his throat glared up at the police officers. Danes's encrypted electronic equipment was immersed in water in his sink, destroying any evidence of communications between him and Breck. Danes was arrested at the scene and taken into custody. An officer came to the Bedner home to deliver the terrible news, but Lauren and the triplets already knew. The triplets had found out from the text messages from their friends. Lauren had called the homes of Breck's friends, many of whom had seen the images by that point. The police called Barry, telling him to get to the house right away. By the time he arrived, he could tell just from looking at the faces of his distraught family that something awful had happened to Breck. While Danes initially maintained that Breck's murder had been accidental, detectives easily saw through his claims. His trial was due to begin on November 25th, 2014, but in a surprise move, just as the jury was being sworn in and the prosecution was preparing for opening arguments, he changed his plea to guilty. Danes's sentencing took place on January 12th, 2015, 
His lawyer, Simon Mayo, QC, told the court during mitigation that his client had experienced, quote, deep-rooted feelings of rejection and isolation in his life. When he was very young, he was abandoned by his mother and taken into care. He had never had close relationships with family members or friends, or a place he really considered home. He felt more at home in the gaming world than in the real world, Mayo said. The prosecution referred to Danes as a controlling and manipulative individual who carefully planned the crime. He had written to Breck in the days before the murder, giving him exact instructions as to what to tell his father about where he was going on the evening of February 16th. Prosecutor Richard Whittam, QC, told the court of the sexual and sadistic nature of the murder. He said there was evidence of sexual activity between the two before Breck was killed. He added that Danes had purchased duct tape, condoms, and syringes online shortly before the murder. After hearing from both sides, Mrs. Justice Cox said to Danes, Having lured the young victim to your flat, you murdered him. I'm sure that this murder was driven by sadistic or sexual motivation. Danes was sentenced to serve a minimum of 25 years in prison, meaning that the earliest he will be released is 2040, when he's 44 years old. After the sentencing, Lauren said, No amount of years behind bars will ever change the poisonous attitude and actions of a psychotic animal who can behave this way. Lauren and Barry sued Surrey and Essex Police Departments for failing to protect their son after Lauren reported her concerns of grooming. The Independent Police Complaints Commission, the IPCC, also carried out investigations into both departments. The IPCC found that the person who took Lauren's call lacked the knowledge and expertise on how to handle reports of child grooming. Lauren should have been directed to a specialist agency, such as the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center, which exists to support parents with these types of concerns. More damningly, they also failed to check the police national computer, on which there was a record that Danes had been arrested on allegations of rape and sexual assault of a minor in 2011. While no further action was taken by Essex police over these allegations, the record of course still existed. If they had bothered to check, it's likely that Breck would still be alive today. I'll just say here that the conduct of Essex police in the 2011 rape allegation was investigated, and it was found that they handled the case appropriately. A damages payment was settled upon between Lauren and Barry and Surrey police. As part of the settlement, the department also vowed to review and bring about changes to their procedures to ensure that what happened to Breck would not happen to another child. These changes included the addition of a child sexual exploitation-slash-grooming checklist for call handlers to use, as well as a designated training day specifically aimed at how to handle reports of child grooming. In January 2016, Lauren reported to the police that Danes had been putting up blog posts about the murder, despite being in prison. Having heard Danes speak almost every day for a year, as well as having her own conversations with him, she was familiar with his use of language and way of speaking, and was therefore convinced it was him making these posts. The first post, which was titled Open Letter from Louis Danes, was published in November 2015. The second post was written in January 2016, 
It's titled BBC Documentary Questions to be Asked, referring to the BBC documentary Murder Games about Breck's killing. The documentary was released on January 26, 2016, the same day the blog post was published. Seeing the post left Lauren so shaken that she called the police. In the post, Danes criticized the media and the Bedner family's portrayal of him, saying that he is not a, quote, sinister internet pedophile. The police told Lauren there was nothing they could do about the post because it was made using a U.S. company. Three years later, in February 2019, Chloe Bedner began receiving sick messages allegedly from Louis Danes on Snapchat. The messages, which graphically recounted Breck's murder, were brought up at Prime Minister's Questions by Croydon South MP Chris Phillip. Phillip said the police were asking Snapchat to provide data that would help them definitively identify who had been sending the messages, but Snapchat refused to hand over the data, citing a U.S. law blocking them from complying. However, the U.S. Department of Justice told Snapchat they must comply with the requests from the U.K. authorities. There haven't been any new developments in the matter that I could find. Breck was buried at St. John the Evangelist in Caterham on March 17, 2014, which would have been his 15th birthday. Hundreds of people gathered to celebrate his short but inspiring life. He was an exceptional boy with everything in front of him. He was my main man, Lauren said. A memorial fund was set up in Breck's name, which raised more than £25,000 in just a matter of weeks. With regards to the fund, the family released the following statement. As Breck had a great passion for the possibilities offered by innovations in computing, we will use this fund to support computer education for young people. As the family recovers from the initial shock and grief of our loss, we can begin to develop our plans to use this fund, both to help others and to honor the memory of our talented boy, whom we all loved so dearly. Barry and Lauren have done interviews with many media outlets to spread awareness about what happened to Breck. In 2016, Lauren said in an interview with The Guardian, to Breck, who still had his baby teeth and saw no evil in the world, Dane seemed very cool and very exciting. The police didn't find a single image or text about bodies or sex. Breck thought their relationship was about technology and computers. Barry warned that if Breck could fall victim to this sort of crime, it could happen to anyone's child. He didn't fit the stereotype of a troubled, uncommunicative boy locked away in his room. It just wasn't like that, he told the Daily Mail. In 2014, Lauren started the Breck Foundation. The foundation's mission is to, quote, empower the digital generation to be smart and safe online and advocate for their well-being to be at the center of internet safety policies and practices across government, business, and the wider society. Lauren now travels around the UK sharing Breck's story at schools, community groups, and police departments. She said in an interview with the BBC, I want Breck's tragedy to open the eyes of everyone to recognize the dangers of online predators. It's a very real danger today. We all need to look after each other.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like the show, please give me a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify, and subscribe wherever you're listening now. I'd like to say thanks to everyone who's done this already. I really appreciate your kind words. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram to see photos from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time.